0: Hello and welcome to the Urban Permaculture Podcast. I'm Heather with Hogs and Hens Urban Farm, and I have got an exciting guest lined up for you folks today. Um, if you are interested in functional medicine, if you are interested in mushrooms, if you are interested in any kind of herbal uh, remedies or medications, treatment plans, options, this is an episode you do not want to miss out on. Um, typically, I let my guests introduce themselves, so without further ado, Aaron, I'd like you to introduce yourself to our listeners.
1: Hey, everyone. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks so much, Heather, for you know agreeing to have me on and excited to kind of share about natural kind of options today.
0: Fantastic. All right. So, um, Aaron, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, what you do, that kind of fun stuff.
1: Yeah, so I'm right now in Indianapolis, Indiana. That's where my office is at. And yeah, I have a, a private practice in functional medicine, um, herbalism and I'm starting my kind of career in osteopathic medicine right now so an osteopathic student after all these years I still can't kick the habit of going back to school for some reason um, it's stuck with me but yeah I've kind of been serving the Indianapolis area by offering wildcrafted, so foraged herbs for a little while now um, and trying to kind of promote regenerative agriculture um, holistic ways of life kind of to the, the supporting area um, similar to you, I run, I run a podcast here and yeah, all the guests are kind of in that mindset of how do we regenerate our surrounding areas or regenerate and get back to ways of healing our body without a lot of the maybe more allopathic approaches that sometimes can cause things like side effects or other deleterious symptoms. So yeah, it's been fun. It's, you know, it's interesting to be in healthcare during this time, um, especially and so, It's been a very rewarding field, but challenging at times we're seeing conditions arise that we've never had to see before. And um, yeah, I think it's kind of almost like being a practitioner nowadays is almost being like an artist. You're having to kind of create and kind of formulate and do things like never seen before.
0: Absolutely. Um, And you have quite a history of education in in these fields as well. You're not just somebody who's read a few articles online. Um, So you want to give us a little bit about some of your educational background because you've studied in some pretty cool areas.
1: Yeah. So like most people, I went to undergraduate school. I went to Indiana University and studied community health and kinesiology. And Like most people I graduated and felt kind of disheartened about my career options. (laughs) Um, and I think that there's nothing that really happens by coincidence. And it happened my junior year. Um, my aunt ended up passing away and she had a really rare disease. It's called FOP and it's where your muscle turns the bone. So Mm -hmm. only about 2000 people in the whole world have it. And, she ended up living a very long time for someone with that condition, but I couldn't help, but wonder, you know, watching her have move her wrist to work the computer and the TV. That was the one area that didn't freeze and, you know, get more, um, I guess you could say almost static and like couldn't yeah. move because of the musculature was training the bone. And I couldn't help, but also notice that the doctors didn't talk about things like, you know, cause she had to eat very soft foods like smoothies, juices, um, what kind of water she was intaking and other things like that. And so when she passed, I kind of was in a point where I knew I should have been doing more with my own education, but it really kind of fueled and inspired me to go down a route where I wanted to help other people with their health, but in a manner that I think led to better long-term outcomes and more holistic outcomes. And so after I graduated, I remember having a conversation with my mom and she said, well, how about you just help, um, or rather, how about you get involved in an herbalism program that was going on and she was going to actually also attend. And I remember calling the teacher and saying, does this give me some kind of credential or, you know, prospect career-wise and anyone that's gone into herbal medicine knows that there's no such thing as really an herbal there's no like certificate really that gives you like a guaranteed job so um i ended up doing the program and i won't say i fell in love with it right away but it to me as a time was a way to get more involved in nature and did two years of education here in indiana with herbalism and then at the end of it the the teacher name is constance ferry she's runs a amazing um education program and has gardens in fillmore indiana and she advised me at that time to go out to Ithaca, New York, and study with a man named Sevensong, who has a, a practice and works in the Ithaca Free Clinic, providing, it's completely free to the public, um, herbal resources for chronic illnesses, complex things, um, also integrated into an allopathic model as well. So. He taught me to forage and identify plants and prepare them more for clinical scenarios and clinical healthcare strategies. Um, went through a couple of strings of other herbalism programs kind of can't stop learning. I'm still doing them to this day. Um, but came back here and realized that I needed more education as far as like things like pharmaceuticals that clients were on. And so I did two years of functional medicine training at the university of Western States in Portland, Oregon. Um, And now, more recently, I'll be starting osteopathic school in Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada, um, getting specifically hands-on physical osteopathic manipulations, getting kind of back to the old, later 1800s work of, you know, helping to correct illnesses using um, osteopathic techniques.
0: Very cool. We actually have a similar path. I, I started out, uh, my family told me that uh, based on my, my education and what I was interested in in school and where I excelled, they all said, you know, you should really go into the healthcare field. And I was like, I get, yeah, I really am I'm interested in this. And I had studied and looked into a lot of um, herbology when I was younger. And so I went to school to be a nurse initially. I took one semester and was like, no, I think I want to be a doctor. I don't think I want to to take orders mm-hmm. and have to, to be at the doctor's whim, you know? And so I went through my undergrad and studied uh, biochemistry as my undergrad. And from there, I got so far as getting ready to apply for med school. And it was, you know, so why do you want to be a doctor? And I was like, I, I actually don't. I mm-hmm. I don't really... I don't really believe in, in traditional, you know, medicine. I am definitely somebody who is all about natural and holistic options and the current healthcare, you know, climate at that time was very much not at all. So I, yes. I understand. Um, but I continue to study like you, it's, it's been something that's fascinated me for a long time. I I don't take any kind of synthetic medications anymore. Everything I do is now herbal and natural. And I think that it's something that a lot more people can benefit from for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely. Absolutely. Well, you know, there, are, there are strategies that are kind of our long-term solution. You know, there's times for short-term strategies, like if you're in a car accident, but yeah, it's like if we're going to live on this planet for a long time and be healthy, obviously with the larger occurrence of conditions like cancer, autoimmunity, hormone disruption, um, even the fact that we're finding um, microplastic residues in places like the Himalayas up in high altitudes and, you know, in about every organ in the body system, it's obvious that what's being promoted right now doesn't work and we need alternative strategies.
0: Absolutely. For sure. Um, Now tell us about some of the kind of um, things that you're using in your practice, because you've, you've got a lot of really cool things and you're doing all wild foraging, correct?
1: Yeah. So the majority of my practice is mostly cancer patients. And I didn't seek out to maybe serve that population, you could say, but it's the kind of the population that found me. Um, So what we use with them is quite, there's quite a bit of variance. Um, A lot of times, people want to do a hybrid of conventional chemotherapy, radiation, immunotherapies, and then also use other things to help support that as well. So I see other cancer, uh, sorry, or other, other chronic illnesses, things like, you know, autoimmunity, GI issues, hormone imbalances as well. And we talk a lot about like dietary strategies, um, wild crafted herbs are kind of something near and dear to me. And we definitely always use in whatever's going on as well as supplements, um, homeopathic remedies as well. And honestly, I, usually refer out to lots of different modalities too because i think things like acupuncture chiropractics um tapping emdr different forms of therapy can also be quite helpful um so yeah it kind of varies on what's going on but trying to give strategies and recommendations that are more from the earth more natural
0: Wonderful. And you teach classes as well um, to help others to glean some knowledge that you've learned as well, correct?
1: Yeah. So for about two years now, we've offered at Georgetown Market, which is where my office is at, um, free monthly classes. And they've been on things like introduction to herbalism. Uh, we've done things on like reading your own lab work, um, trying to dispel germ theory and teach more about terrain medicine, how our terrain are actually our, you know, bacterial count, our parasites, all those things are not bad things. They're just things to be checked and put into balance. And so yeah, so I also partner with a lot of different local businesses to teach classes. I was just at an acupuncture clinic yesterday and teaching about introductory herbalism. So yeah, it's kind of fun to, you know, bebop around town and go to different areas and teach.
0: Definitely, and folks, if you're local to um, Indianapolis, Indiana, or even if you're just interested in traveling to learn, um, Aaron's got classes coming up December third from one to three. It's an introduction to medicinal mushrooms. Um, The class is twenty dollars, and you can email Aaron for information about that. And what email should they use to contact you?
1: Yeah, so the email is Heartwood Herbals. It's H A R T W O O D. Herbals, H-E-R-B-A-L-S, so heartwoodherbals at gmail.com.
0: Fantastic. And then December 10th, you've got a class about reading your own labs, detox, um, functional medicine, and that's from 2 to 3.30, and that's at Georgetown Market there in Indy where you're located, and that's one of the free classes you were talking about.
1: It is, yes.
0: Yeah. And now, is there registration for that, or is it a drop-in, or...
1: Yeah, for the intro to mushrooms, have people um, email me. That's the best way to sign up. And then I can send out more information. And then if, yeah, if they want to do the class at Georgetown, um, they're welcome to go onto Georgetown's Facebook page and they can sign up that way. They usually also have an Eventbrite link there as well. Um, if you don't see it right away, I know they're going to be kind of publishing the class coming up here in the next, um, hopefully... Couple of days for Georgetown. So, yeah, follow them on social media. You can also follow me um, on Instagram. It's Heartwood Herbals. And that way you can also see more about it, too.
0: Fantastic. I'm pretty excited about this. Um, so with with the mushrooms, so I am obviously a big lover of mushrooms. In fact, that's what I was doing this morning. I just went and picked up a ton and a half of mushroom compost. Um, I say yeah. mushroom compost, but really it's things that have only fruited once. So it is very much still alive and it is very much still producing. So we grow lion's mane, uh, oysters, and of a variety of oysters, and also um, brown chestnut mushrooms here on our property. Um, those are ones that we have, you know, inoculated with, and then of course we have some wild mushrooms that pop up all over the place as well. Um, but what kind of mushrooms do you use, um, in your practice?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of different ones. So I go out and I forage kind of around the U S different mushrooms to, to use. And sometimes I just use some common ones that we've heard about, like turkey tail, lion's mane, chaga, reishi. But then I also use some uncommon ones that maybe we haven't heard quite as much like artist conch. Um, there are a lot of different types of reishi, like there's kind you know, like um sessile, for example, um, even using things like birch polypore, which people may have heard of, but is kind of like the unknown birch mushroom. It gets kind of the backseat to chaga. Um, right. So yeah, lots of different ones in either dual extracts or powders um, for clients.
0: Yeah. Now with your, um, with the things you're doing with mushrooms, do you, do you pretty much always do a dual extract or powder? I mean, what, what all do you do with the mushrooms? How are you using these mushrooms?
1: That's a very good question. Cause there's a lot of confusion about what's the best form. How do we process mushrooms? And it's not a very satisfying answer, but it depends. So yeah. like if we take into context, lion's mane, for example, mm. We hear a lot about how nines is really good for nerve growth factor you know it helps conditions maybe like if someone has had nerve da- nerve damage they have memory or cognitive impairment the constituent in lion's mane that's responsible for helping that is called a tritropine so those are extracted best in alcohol so a dual extract is really great now if i gave someone lion's mane powder for memory cognition it might work but maybe not quite as well um i would use more like lion's mane powder Um, it helps specifically with something called secretory iga which is a marker used in gut health and it could be really helpful for gut inflammation specifically so mushrooms being a high source of probably the dietary highest source of fiber um, it can be a really good thing to help modulate you know gut intestinal health So very clearly there, you know, we got two different results, gut health or nerve growth. And it varied, varied widely depending on the the way I gave it. Um, so you got to ask yourself, what's the condition that I'm trying to address? What am I actually willing to take? Cause a lot of times in my practice, people can't always take things by mouth. I had a, a little boy who had a G tube and central line and he couldn't take anything orally. So we had to do administrations into, um, other ways. And so the, the thing you got to ask yourself is, what does the person want to take? What's the best way? And then with mushrooms specifically, I think we need to understand too, that they're really thick plant matter. So that means that they have thick cell walls, chitin. I mean, these are things that are found in like insects that help protect them, their thick outer coating, and they can't just be powderized and given, they don't work. And in fact, they can cause nausea, you know, malabsorption because it's drying to the stomach lining. So we need to make sure that when we process any type of mushroom that's, you know, put through pressure cooking, heat and pressure to break down the cell walls, open the constituents, and then they can be turned into powders or into dual extracts.
0: Now, like last night, I I experimented with some of our lion's mane in a way I'd never used them before. Um, So we get such an abundance of them. I have been slicing them and dehydrating them for for storage because I just I get so many of them, they would go bad before I could eat them all. Um, Um, So with that, I mean, I can tincture some of them and I will, but we dehydrated them and I powderized them and I used those to thicken I made a gravy, actually for dinner last night. Now, In doing something like that, though, is that potentially going to cause harm to my, my intestinal tract by, by ingesting these powderized mushrooms, or is it something that's kind of dosage specific or quantity specific?
1: Yeah, everyone's different. I would say you should never really eat any mushroom raw. It just is not a good idea. It will cause things like nausea and other symptoms. Um, so the best thing to do, like if you have mushrooms that you can't get to, you could dehydrate them. And Mm -hmm. then when you're ready to use them, you can rehydrate them and then cook them. If you're wanting to do mushroom powders specifically, I would pressure cook them, blend them, and then you're going to have to get some equipment. You use a powderizer after they've been dehydrated to powderize them. Um, so it's a multi-faceted step. And if people are interested in that process. There's a great herbalist named Christopher Hobbs who wrote a book on mushrooms and you can learn how to make your own powdered mushroom extracts that way. Um, but you do need a bit of equipment, like a dehydrator, a powderizer, a blender and water.
0: For sure. Yeah, I I did mine different. I I did mine wrong. (laughs) Apparently I did not pressure cook mine first. I, I took them from a raw status and dehydrated them on a medium heat and then from there, I put them into a grinder and turned them into a powder. It was the texture of like flour. And mm-hmm. then I used that, like I said, in my cooking to make like a, a thickened gravy. I replaced essentially flour or cornstarch with it is how I used it. And it tasted great texturally. It seemed pretty good and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But now I know. And in the future, I'll have to try <laughs> pressure. Can't, you're cooking them first.
1: Yeah, you know, the thing is, I don't like to discourage people because I think it's so great that you're thinking about other ideas rather than flour to use in food. And so, you know, when people use these things, you know, there is a bit of a learning curve to it. Um, So just know, like, just start with something. And you can learn more and more and more as you go, and then adopt different practices. So no, I think maybe just start cooking those mushrooms. And then yeah, you can keep with your flour products. And that might get you even more medicinal value because it's opening those cell walls and just maybe notice if you get anything that pops up for your own health when you're doing that
0: yeah fantastic um now when you're out foraging um you're also foraging not just the mushrooms but you're foraging herbs as well um and different plants what are some of the more common ones that you find yourself foraging for in our area
1: yeah. The largest part of it is seasonal variability, right? Mm-hmm. You know, some things pop up more spring, some more, you know, fall winter. Um, but in my practice, let me see some common ones. I use a lot of, I use a lot of stinging nettle quite a bit. Yeah. And so sure. that's one that I go forage Uh blue vervain quite often as well. Um, I grow holy basil in large quantities too, cause I run through that quite a bit. Okay. Um, Adaptogens,
0: man, oh, such a good thing
1: yes adaptogens are great um they're something that are pretty safe you know they can be used by most folks and they can help with lots of different issues so yeah i mean Tulsi being a great adaptogen um another one i grow is gynostema and that's another great adaptogen as well um but yeah and then foraging for food a lot like i like to get a lot of um just wild greens. So you, you might get just things out of the yard um, in the backyard, like dandelion greens are a favorite. I like to get like garlic mustard as well. Um, roots in the fall right now. <laughs> plantain. Yeah, plantain is great for a lot. Um, we're in root season right now. So lots of yellow dock and burdock and chicory, dandelion. Um, so yeah, it kind of just depends on the season, but I'd say stinging nettle is by far probably the, the largest herb I use.
0: Yeah. For me, I think it's mullen. I, I harvest tons of mullen because I find this time of year, I end up making so much mullen tea just because of the congestion, the season changes. And around here, we get that hot, cold, hot, cold. So I end up with a lot of congestion. So I find myself doing a lot of lemon balm and uh, mullen tea for sure.
1: Yes. They're both great herbs. Yes.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Um, is there now... There's, there's an ethical side to foraging. And I think a lot of folks who are new to this kind of don't understand the ethical side of harvesting because you can definitely over harvest an area um, or damage its ability to grow in the future. Um, do you have any feedback on that or any, any tips for that or resources there?
1: No, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I'd say, yeah, as we get people who are more and more interested in this field it's going to be important that we understand that as people in the community we're kind of responsible for stewarding the land you know as human beings that walk this earth we can have a very large impact either positively or negatively and so when we start foraging if people are interested there's a guy named sam thayer who's in wisconsin and he's a he's a friend and I, by all means, consider him to be probably the best forager in the world. And he's got a series of books that you can start with. I started reading those myself and they are very helpful for not only learning how to identify, but also process, collect and ethically steward the land. So, you know, when you start foraging, the first thing you gotta, you know, know is, is what I'm foraging actually what I'm foraging. And he often says this, and I like this expression that, you know, Heather, if I took you into the store and I said, hey, that banana is an apple, you should say, Aaron, you're wrong. I don't know what you're talking about. I've been eating these fruits for years and there's no way that that's that. Um, You should have the same level of confidence in anything that you forage, especially if you're going to sell it at any point. And... You can do that by reading books, having a, another local herbalist or forager show you around. Um there's Facebook community. So I always tell people too, you want three points of reference.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if I find dandelion, you know, you should be able to tell me that's dandelion. I should have a book that maybe tells me it's dandelion. And maybe I had someone else that took me on a plant walk that could verify too. So that's three points of reference. And then once I maybe do decide to collect like dandelion root. I look at maybe there's 10 dandelion plants. And probably out of the 10, I probably only want to take like two or three.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want to take 20% or so. And the reason is that, you know, I want to make sure that if you wanted to come forage, you could still come forage and not disrupt that population. If, you know, something was to happen in that area, that maybe it wouldn't decimate the whole environment. I mean, we have seasonal changes every year that change production. But then there's also just a natural beauty to the surrounding environment. I don't want to take something and then people can't go for a walk and enjoy, you know, the pretty flowers on the trail, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say, yeah, aiming for that that only 20 percent of a plant population, and then also trying to verify is it on like the endangered list. Right. Um, we have plants like golden seal, for example, um, that have been just decimated because of large scale herb processing and manufacturing companies Mm -hmm. so choosing maybe plants like i don't know barberry that has berberine the alkaloid that we consider medicinal and golden seal and using barberry as an alternative or growing golden seal instead of trying to go harvest it in nature and so Mm -hmm. asking yourself what is the status also on the plant that i'm foraging
0: i think it's really important for folks to understand that not all not all natural, um, remedies or holistic practices are created equal as well. Um, like for example, in our area, um, I found a cache of some ghost pipes and I know what to do with those. And so when I go foraging, I always carry alcohol ready to go because when you harvest them, you have to immediately put them into uh, a tinctured solution. Otherwise it's, it's losing its value, you know, it's medicinal value immediately. But I found when other folks are doing this, they don't know what they're doing, and they're bringing it home, and then they're drying it, and it's like you're you're ruining the you know the medicinal benefits of these things, and there's still some nutritional benefits to to a lot of these plants, but if they're not if they're not made correctly, if they're not processed correctly, it can really affect their usage. Um, are there any I, those pipes for me was a hot button one because people are are definitely over harvesting it in the area where I used to get them pretty regularly they're almost gone now, it's, it's hard to find them. And like I said, I know that a lot of folks are, are not processing them correctly. Are there any um, any of your, the things that you're forging for that you find that are are like, they have to be processed immediately like this to maintain their efficacy? Is there anything you can think of that's kind of on those lines?
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, even in the context of ghost pipe there, um it's an interesting organism. I mean, it's parasitic to the surrounding trees around it. Um, doesn't have any pigment to it too. So it's white, you know, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting organism. And, um, in the context of things like that, like most mushrooms too, they tend to go bad if we let them sit around, right. You know, other competitive, um, microorganisms in the air tend to decompose them. Um, But then also like asking yourself, like, you know, ghost pipe is traditionally used for phantom limb pain or other kinds of manifestations of pain. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't really give ghost pipe to someone as a tea or capsule in that sense, I'd probably give it to them as a tincture because one, it gets more of the constituents out. And secondly, if you know someone with chronic pain or very debilitating pain, they don't want to really make a cup of tea and then sit there and drink it. They want pretty immediate relief. So a tincture is usually the best form of administration there. So I would say, think about how you want to actually use the plant before you even gather it. You know, that way we don't waste anything. Um, But yeah, I mean, I would say most things like mushrooms, they need to be utilized pretty quickly or dehydrated pretty quickly, otherwise they'll spoil. Um, Even other things too, like, certain aromatics can be lost if we just let herbs sit around. And so getting to drying or dehydrating them, um, quickly can be really helpful to make sure that those aromatics are not, um, lost. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So have an intention with whatever you're foraging, you know, it's kind of like, um, hunters always talk about you don't want to have a bad kill and then lose your kill. It's the same thing. I mean, if you dig up a plant, you dig the root, you're killing a plant. You don't want to just take a life, you know, and have no reason behind it.
0: Right. Definitely. I know for me, like in my 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 toolkit for foraging, I, I always have a sharp knife. I always have some snips of some sort, either scissors or I'll carry some pruning shears with me because depending on what I'm you know chasing down, I might need those things. I always carry a bag. And then I always have a jar of alcohol with me for things like my ghost pipes that I immediately start tincturing before they start denaturing. Um, are there any things that you would include or that you would recommend? Oh, and a small shovel. I always have a hand trowel as well for things like burdock. So I can dig up the roots if needed. Mm-hmm. Are there any other things you can think of that should be on a foraging kit? If you're going to go out for the first time exploring.
1: Yeah, definitely. All the things you said, I mean, having like a Hori Hori or a spade to dig things up, um, pruners, a bag, um, small shovel, maybe for bigger roots mm-hmm. is great. Um, Definitely want to bring some things to like for safety. I mean, like a compass, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten lost in the woods and I'm lucky that I got out the way I got out. Um, so having a compass can be great water and food on you as well. Um, usually when we're foraging, I'm going to be honest, it's not ever like perfect, like 70 degrees, no bugs, um, (laughs) all that kind of just pristine conditions. there's usually something going on where I'm like, yeah, I got to make sure that I'm not getting bitten by ticks, for example. Right. Um which I got blown up this year with. So, you know, having a strategy for the weather, the insects is great. Um, I do like having like an idea for alcohol. Um, have different percentage alcohols, something for higher resinous, you know, plants, something maybe that you can have lower percentage for maybe like leaves, for example, um, scale, scissors. Um, those are also great things as well. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if they, people start with that, they're gonna get most of their bases covered. Um, and then as they go and maybe learn what they really need, um, from a couple of trial and errors that can help dictate maybe more of their game plan.
0: Yeah. I would also recommend maybe to have a field guide, um, a mushroom identification guide, as well as uh, a plant identification guide. Cause I've been doing this for years, you know, I've been doing this, gosh, almost 30 years now, I've been going out and foraging things. And there are still times that I question myself. And I feel like it's important for everybody to always question, because there's a lot of things that look like a lot of things. And if you're not careful, you can really get yourself into some some trouble there from a health mm-hmm. standpoint, definitely. Is there a specific um, plant or mushroom um, ID Kind of like a field guide, if you would, that you would recommend. I mean, I know there's there's a difference between having a a really detailed, thick book that you carry with, you know, when you're carrying things out in the field. It's it's a little bit easier to have more of like a quick field guide. Is there one in particular you would recommend?
1: Um, well, so back to Sam Thayer again. He just came out this year with probably the most extensive field guide ever published, in my opinion. So Perfect. look at Sam Thayer's recent field guide.
0: Okay. Um, Fantastic.
1: Lita Meredith also did a great book for our area of foraging on the Northeast. So that's a great one for plants. Um, there's the Audubon Society for Mushrooms is another good one to have. Uh, Todd Elliott is a friend. He did a great book as well on foraging mushrooms. Um, I can't remember the exact name off the top of my head, but yeah, if you look up Todd Elliott, um, he's got a book out on foraging mushrooms.
0: Well, and if you're wanting to know what kind of things you have on your property that you may not even realize are functional, I know there are a lot of my friends and family members who look at their yards and they are like, oh, there's a weed, I've got to get rid of it. And I'm looking at it saying, no, 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 that's plantain, go collect it. And they don't mm-hmm. understand. Um, so you offer um, property walks, you you offer um, services in that regard too, right?
1: Definitely, yeah. So people are looking for someone to kind of walk with them on the property um i offer that there's usually someone in your area that might offer that too so yeah try to reach out to local herbalists who maybe have experience with foraging or plant id and um yeah try to connect with them because how many people know exactly what an adidas or a nike sign looks like but they don't know that plantains in their front yard i mean it's something that we need to get back to learning and so there's probably someone in your area that definitely teaches that
0: Definitely. And if you're in, a, if you're in the area of Indianapolis, definitely get a hold of Aaron. And if somebody would want to book um, one of these plant walks, how would they do that?
1: Yeah. If they just email me, we can set that up and we can go out to their property. I do classes too, where we go to state parks as well, or other people's private property, if they have um, access to that or, or open to that. So yeah, if they just email me, that's something that they can set up.
0: Perfect. So you can do that on a one on one basis if you really want kind of some one on one time with Aaron to help you identify what things are. And you'll talk a little bit about kind of what they're used for, not just, well, that's burdock. And anybody who's ever gotten, you know, a burdock burr on them knows the mm-hmm. burdocks are good for that. But, you know, yeah. if you've never used burdock, then you give them some ideas of what it can be used for and how to use it, correct?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Usually plant walks or a couple hours, because I mean, we can go probably five feet and we could probably have spent two hours already. (laughs) Um, So yeah, if you want like a really good in-depth plant walk, it usually is a couple hours. And yeah, we we go through how to identify what ways you might process it um, as well as medicinal value. And even I think it's important to do to talk about, like, what are the kind of mythology or the historical um, maybe more esoteric meanings behind certain plants. I think it's also interesting as they relate to also how they've been used as medicine today as well.
0: Definitely, I always, I always say, you know, anything's edible once. It's whether or not you're able to live to try it a second time that's going to dictate whether or not you should eat it, right? Yeah. <laughs> out so yeah, well, what's, the,
1: what's the joke that there's um, no old and stupid mushroom foragers? <laughs> They're either old or smart. So yeah, you gotta you gotta be careful with how you go about identifying things and just be confident in what you're doing. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Awesome. Well, folks, definitely, definitely look up Aaron. Um, He has some incredible resources um, that he has acquired. He is a wealth of knowledge. He is passionate about what he does. And you should absolutely, if you're in the Indianapolis area, book him for a plant walk because knowing what you have on your property is a type of power that you don't even realize because it's going to give you access to you know, unlimited potential out there. I mean, there are medicinal and nutritional benefits all around you. You may not just know what you're looking for. Um, Aaron, I thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I definitely hope that I get to see you again soon. We met at the celebrating the harvest meet and greet, um, a couple weeks back. And I, I listened to Aaron for about five minutes and I knew right then and there, I needed to get him on the show because he has a wealth of knowledge and folks, the passion that you see when he's talking about these things. I know it doesn't, it doesn't always translate. Well, I don't know if you can hear how passionate he is about it, but I can, and I've seen him firsthand and just the knowledge you really need to get in touch with Aaron. So thanks again so much for tuning in folks. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later.